You are listening to the Life Boss Podcast, episode number eight. Welcome to the Life Boss Podcast, where it's all about real people getting more money, more freedom, and more fun. And now your host, Jason Capital. All right, recording number three. trying to get this podcast recorded. Um, I recorded the first one for about 20 minutes and then realized it stopped recording. Then I tried to record it a second time and that stopped recording after a minute. And I think I figured out why that was happening and I think I have solved that problem. Um, So hopefully this one works. So, hey, (laughs) how are you? I hope you're doing amazing. I'm doing pretty good. It's Monday. Happy Monday to you or whenever you're listening to this. I'm really excited for this podcast and what I get to share with you here. Uh, because this past week I hosted a mastermind here in Puerto Rico where I invited um, a bunch of business owners and online business owners where we can hang out for a couple of days, share ideas, trade tactics and strategies, offer contacts and introductions. And it was great. Um, about 15 people came. All of them had at least eight figure businesses. There were a couple nine figure guys in the room. Biggest guy was doing about 250 million a year um, and well over $500 million a year in revenue in the room. And so I wanted to share with you the four biggest takeaways from that room here in this podcast with you. Uh, so hopefully, is that cool? Um, before we begin though, um, one of the people at the mastermind was Brett Knutson. If you don't know Brett, Brett is the founder of my agency box. Uh, as well as um, Monopolize Agency, which works with some of the biggest brands in the world. I also work with them. Uh, and my agency box, if you're in Money Boss, you know all about my agency box. You know that most Money Boss students use my agency box, why I recommend it, why it's so great. Um, and so Brett is a really, really good close friend. And so me and Brett got breakfast uh, the morning before he flew back uh, to where he lives in Las Vegas. And he asked me, Jason, um, are you ever thinking about like making a push to make your podcast like super popular? Um, and I told him, no, I don't expect this podcast, like the one you are listening to right now, to be really popular, and here's why. Um, if you were to ask yourself, like, what do all the most popular podcasts have in common? Um, there's a theme, right? Like, they typically have celebrities, and they have interview-style, long-form format. So if you look at a Tim Ferriss or a Jay Shetty podcast or Russell Brand um, or even Joe Rogan, there's celebrities and they have interview styles that go on for a long time. Joe Rogan is more dialogue, but um, you kind of get the idea. And so I'm just not interested in that. And here's why. I think the, um, if you think of a metric, let's call it value per minute. Like for every minute of a podcast you listen to, what is the value you get from it? I think from those types of podcasts, and no disrespect to anyone, but I think the value per minute on those is really, really low. Like you listen to like an hour long interview with someone on a podcast and you might get one nugget in that entire hour. And so the value per minute is really low. This podcast, the way I want to do it is I want to keep it to like 10 minutes-ish. On most podcasts, I want to deliver immediate value to you. I want the thing to be jam-packed. I want you to be like, fuck, I need to listen to that again to catch the things that I missed. I want it to be super tactical for you. I want it to be super valuable for you. Um, And so that format, while most valuable for you, the audience member, is not the direct way to build a really popular podcast from what I I've seen. Um, and so I don't expect to be super popular and that's fine. Like that's not what this is. This is to go deep with the most ambitious people who take the most action and build a deep relationship with you and helping you. So that's my goal here. So anyways, um, let's get into the takeaways from this $500 million mastermind. I, and just a quick warning for some of this stuff, some of the tactics I'm about to share will be super tactical. In fact, the first one, just so you know, is going to be super tactical and granular two through four more general, more big idea stuff, which I think would be good for you. But the first one, very tactical, like very like do this, not that in a granular way. Um, so have notes ready if, if you are interested in, in that. And 
Let's fucking do it. So first takeaway um, was related to email marketing. And one of the guys there who um, presented on what he does with email, he makes $11 million a year from his email list. Uh, and that's not like revenue that's, that's after taxes. Like that's what he nets from his email list. He has an email list of about 3.7 million people. He's been building this list for over 15 years. And he takes a completely different strategy with his email list than with mo- what most email marketers do. See, there's kind of two ways. Way one is kind of the churn and burn. I add leads to my email list as fast as I can. I mail them offers. I um, get a return on ad spend as quickly as I can. And I burn them to the ground in like two to three weeks for their like unsubscribing. And they're like, God, this guy just tries to sell me shit every day in the emails and they unsubscribe and they stop reading. Um, And that's churn and burn. And to be honest, I know a lot of people who make a lot of money doing that. Um, They get good arbitrage, meaning like the, the cost to acquire an email lead. They can double or triple that in three weeks before the lead burns out, so to speak. And they, they make money that way. Um, this guy though does the opposite way. He's long-term. Like I said, he's been building his 3.7 email list for 15 years. Um, and he still gets like 35% open rates to his email list. And his strategy is just much more education-based, much more content, much more less salesy, um, which means he makes less money in the short term, but more money in the long term. And like I said, he's doing this for 15 years and it's not like he's been making 11 million a year from the list for all 15 years. Like it's just gone up steadily every year. Um, and so he does some couple things I want to share with you that I think will be helpful for you. These were good reminders for me. Um, he, of those 3.7 million people, he doesn't email all of them every day. Because if you do that, your sender reputation goes down. And when your sender reputation goes down, uh, Gmail, Yahoo, Outlook, Hotmail, all of them, um, they will make your emails go to the promotion tab or into the spam tab instead of the primary tab. And when your emails go to primary, um, when your emails go to primary, you are going to get uh, like a 30 to 35% open rate. And when your emails go to promotion, you are going to get like a 15% uh, open rate. So you literally get twice as many opens when it goes to primary um, instead of promotions. So you want to go to primary, right? Like imagine if emails a million people and it goes to primary, that's 300,000 people who are going to open that email. Um, and if it goes to promotions, that's 150,000. He's going to make twice as much money for that one little shift. And the question is, well, how do I get primary instead of promotion? And that is your sender reputation, right? And sender reputation is based on um, the emails that you have previously sent to this list how were the open rates? How were the click-through rates? What was the engagement? What was the spam rate, right? All, what was the unsub rate? All those things. What was the time on page? Like, did they, did they open it and then delete it right away? Or did they read the whole thing from top to bottom and spend three minutes reading your email? Um, these uh, ESPs, email service providers, Google, Gmail, Yahoo, et cetera, they take all those things into account and they, they give you a sender reputation, right? And so, Uh, if this person was mailing 3.7 million people every time, like some of these people are dead. Some of these people joined his email list 11 years ago, don't know who he is. And they're like, see this email in their inbox. They're like, who the fuck is this? Delete, spam, unsub, whatever. Um, Those things will lower your sender reputation. So what he does is he mails 30-day openers every day. Sends one email a day to 30-day openers. Um, It's usually content. And there's usually a call to action at the end of the content to sell something related to the content. And, um, once a week, he'll mail a bigger segment of the 3.7 million people. So maybe 90-day openers, people who have opened in the last 90 days instead of 30. Or 180-day clickers, people who have clicked a link in any email for the last 180 days. The reason he does this is, is he'll, so what he'll do is, let's say he'll mail 180-day clickers, right? So bigger than 30-day openers. He will use one of the best subject lines he knows that he has. It gets one of the highest open rates on that 180-day opener email. So it gets a high open rate. 
And then someone who hasn't, you know, gotten an email from him in a couple of weeks, now they get it because he opened up the segmentation to 180 days. And they have a good open rate, or excuse me, good subject line that gets high open rate. So this person opens it. And now the minute they open it, their behavior has automatically added them back into the 30-day openers list because they opened the email today, which falls within 30-day openers. And so the number of people that he's mailing in that 30-day opener segment is constantly growing as well. Um, and that's one of the many strategies that he uses um, to make $11 million a year from his email list. Um, the, the big thing for me, though, was just being reminded of how uh, valuable and how profitable email marketing can be. Now, you, if you're new to me, you might not know this, but I became a millionaire when I was 24 with my online dating business, um, teaching and helping guys get laid and relationships and all kinds of stuff back when I was younger in my 20s. Um, and I made 95% of my money through email marketing back then. Like I'm not new to email marketing. That used to be how I made money. That was the only way I made money. And then around 2017, um, email stopped working as well. Revenue per email went down, open rates, click-through rates went down. And my hypothesis was that my audience, which is a younger demo, like this guy who makes 11 mil a year from email, his demo was 50 to 80 year olds. My demo, my number one demo, just so you, you know, is 23 to 27. Second is 28 to 35. Third um, is 18 to 22. And so my demo just leans younger, like 23 to 35, basically. And so uh, they like 23, 35 spends more time on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and Snapchat and Facebook and just social media instead of email. Right. And so I was like, well, if all their attention is on social, I need to get on social. So in 2017, when I made that switch, just so you know, and maybe this hopefully inspires someone, I had less than 10,000 followers on all my social medias combined. I paid zero attention to social media till, until 17 because email did so well for me. Um, now we're at, uh, we're over 4.5 million people on social media in four years. Um, and we're growing super fast. Like, like <laughs> fuck yeah, we're growing fast. I, and, um, but in that time I made a generalization, like a judgment about email, which is, you know, email doesn't work for my demo, which I don't think is true, right? Yes. He makes 11 million a year. And yes, I don't expect to get similar results with our email marketing program. Um, but I think even with our demo email can still be a really viable, powerful channel. Like if you think about email, when you sign up for a new bank account, when you uh, go to college, when you uh, are employed, when you, you know, you go to work for a new employer, they ask you for your email. So you need email. You get bills in the email, like, like email just, it's not going away. It's one of the channels that exists. And so um, we're going to be making a big project and push in Q1 and Q2 now to grow and build our email list. Um, so that was a big takeaway for me. Hopefully there was some value in there for you. Number two um, was the idea of Discord. So do you know what Discord is? Discord is in, it's like a a messaging app, but it's like a group messaging app. So instead of like one-on-one -on -one messaging, it's really easy to, to create like little chat communities or group communities where everyone can kind of message um, in like a central centralized form, so to speak. And so um, I got the idea from someone there that we should build a Discord community for our audience. Uh, we're basically, uh, it's like a private team capital audience on Discord where we can basically give people exclusive access to content and updates and discount codes and things like that. Um, there. Uh, and the reason for this, just so you know, is we're also making a big push this year to grow our SMS list, our text list. I think text is huge. I think if you have a business, you should be adding, you should be adding and you should be using text a thousand percent, like do that. Um, but one of the people I talked to the mastermind has a 700,000 person SMS list. And he was telling me that when you reach that number of people on your SMS list and you try and, and message them, like you can't, you will get throttled, which means that the like AT&T and others will just not allow your messages to go through. And so he can only send an SMS to that list 
one time per month. 700,000 people on a list, you can only message them one time per month. Um, that sounds awful to me. And I think that there's ways, there's other ways to do it in terms of segmentation or just other things you can do to make it work better. But, you know, um, it just got me thinking that maybe like SMS is great, grow it, build it, but dude, build an audience on every freaking channel you possibly can. And so Discord is interesting to me in that way where no matter how many people you have in the group, you're never going to be limited and how often or how many messages you can send to that group. Discord also lets you make it so members of the group, you can, you can make it so they can't also message in the group. Like if we had, imagine a, a chat group with 100,000 people in it, like everyone, like no one, everyone would turn off notifications and it'd just be crazy. And so um, we can make it so members can only uh, respond to, our, to my team's messages to that channel with an emoji but they can't actually message or say anything. Um, so that way it's just a good place to post updates and exclusive access to different things. Um, and I think if people check Discord every day, at least once a day, then it becomes really, really useful. And my understanding is people who use Discord um, check it many, many, many times per day. So that was the second one. The third one um, is just a shiny object note. And this is actually, it's not a third one. It's just, I don't know, I'm just taking a quick left turn here before we keep going. Um, the, the next were really good. But uh, I call it a shiny object note because anytime you're around other entrepreneurs, please note you are going to hear things that they're doing. You're going to think it sounds really good. You're going to think you should do it yourself. And then you're going to try and do it yourself on top of all the things you were already doing. And now you're going to get overwhelmed and your attention's going to be uh, all over the place and nothing is going to get done the way that it should. Right. And so I call it shiny object notes because I know going in, I'm going to have that, that shiny object feel that's just part of the human brain but when i hear something where i'm like oh that's good um but maybe it's not for me or like it doesn't fit with our plans i'll just like make a note and i won't just call it a note i'll call it a shiny object note to remind myself later like yo don't do this but just keep it in mind put it in the not now pile and then maybe look at it next quarter or next year um and so this shiny object note actually has nothing to do with business it was an investing one but there was a guy there who on the side he just started dollar cost averaging bitcoin two years ago dollar cost averaging means instead of trying to beat the market or speculate when to buy or when to sell you just go you know what i like this stock i like this security i like this coin i like this company so i'm just gonna buy a predetermined amount of their share of their stocks or of their coin every week or every day at that, just, I'm just going to do it and it's going to build up over time. And, um, that's it. And so that's dollar cost averaging. And he's been doing that with Bitcoin for the last two years. He's been buying $500 of Bitcoin every week for the last two years. And now his Bitcoin portfolio is worth 3.4 million. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. Just like, I love little simple investing strategies like that, that are sane and rational and non-speculative. Um, because I'm not going to be the Warren Buffett investing. I'm not going to study it and, and know stuff. Like I'm, I got a lot of things to do. I don't have time to spend 12 hours a day reading, you know, shareholder reports and studying intrinsic values of businesses. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, and so that was actually pretty cool. And actually, I think um, I am going to start dollar cost averaging Bitcoin myself. Now I know it's in the 40s, but I think the long term outlook of Bitcoin is much, much, much higher. I think the investment from Tesla and Elon Musk recently added a lot of. Um, just, a, I guess, a, a good proof element to the long-term validity of Bitcoin. And so I think, I think it's still undervalued where it is. And so I think I'm going to start dollar cost averaging Bitcoin as well. I thought that was cool. Um, let's keep going. Next one was, um, it was really interesting in this room that a lot of these people used to make a lot of money online with webinars. And now the majority of them have switched or are switching to using the phone to sell high ticket instead of webinars. Um, 
This is uh, an interesting trend for me. And it, like, there's nothing groundbreaking about this. Like, really, Jason? Use the phone to sell high ticket shit? Who knew? Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm obviously being facetious. Like, selling on the phone is something that has literally been happening since the invention of the phone. But it's just really interesting for me to see a lot of these people and marketers who are using webinars now making the switch to just doing everything on the phone. Um, and I think it's good. I think it's much more sustainable. Um, I like the phone in terms of the sustainability of it as a mechanism to sell because when you do webinar, people rip you off. Like there's a guy named Sam Ovens who had like this really big webinar for a few years. Um, but how many people have ripped him off in the last few? Like, like everyone ripped the guy off and then webinars don't work as well. But if you're doing it on the phone, like it's really hard to rip what someone else is doing on the phone because it's not visible. There's not ads showing you how they're marketing and how they're selling. Like you'd have to get on a phone call and go through the whole process just to figure out what it is that they're doing. And so I like that. Um, phone has some issues for sure. Uh, show rates are low. You know, you, you pay to get leads to book a call and then they don't show for the call. And that happens a lot. And that has to be um, accounted for when you're doing forecasts or when you're figuring out, you know, ROAS and metrics and stuff. But um, it's just, it was just really interesting to me. And we have this real estate offer that we've been working on and I'm, I'm like beyond excited about it. I think it's going to be amazing. Natalie and myself are doing it. I was talking to my mom last night. My mom is actually doing it as well. So it's just a really cool real estate side hustle for anyone who wants to get their foot started in real estate. We're going to be launching that soon. Um, and the whole plan all along was to market and sell it over the phone. That's exactly how we were going to do it. So it was just cool to be in this room and see people doing really well with phone and it just validated kind of what we were already planning um, to do ourselves. So that was cool. And then the last one, right? This last one is more of a soft um, observation instead of like a hard tactical observation, but just, just another reinforcement of me being reminded on the importance of um, integrity. There were a few people, not a few, maybe just a couple, not many in the room um, who I would say weren't looking to give to the other people in the room. Most of the people, like the thing you'll find about really successful people in terms of financial specifically is that they are just value givers. They're always look to lead with the giving hand. They're always trying to help people. They're always trying to add value um, to other people's lives, to other businesses. And so in this room, the majority of the room was all doing that for each other. And you get amazing vibes and results and value just being added when everyone's looking to add value and lead with the giving hand. There were a couple of people I would say who were either just super distracted or were not looking to give as much. And it was just very evident to everyone else in the room who it was and who it was not. And as a result of that, people like, they judge you for that, right? It becomes very obvious. Um, and I just, to me, it just comes from a place of, um, of integrity and what level of integrity someone, someone has. And you look at this and this person wants to add value and they're super open with everything. You're like, that's someone I want to be friends with. That's someone I want to do business with long-term. And when someone's less open, not looking to give, but just a lot of take, 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 um, you don't really feel that way. Right. Um, so if for you, like if you ever go to masterminds or events in the future, you know, when the world opens up, so to speak, um, always look to add value to everyone in the room. Don't, don't think about what can I get? Think about who can I help? What can I give? How, what value can I add to people? And don't worry about getting in return because what ends up happening long-term is as, the more you give, the more you get. That's just how it works. Andrew Carnegie, um, one of the richest men ever in the history of you know, recorded civilization that we have, uh, he was just like, this is all he did. It was just adding value to people. Like he would decide someone who he wanted to be friends with or do business with 
And then he'd like send a private investigator to find out all the problems they have or things they need help with. And then he'd just start writing them and being like, I know you have this. Let me help you with this. Let me help you with this. Wouldn't ask for anything in return. So let me help you. Let me help you. And he'd, and he'd provide enormous help, not like a little help, like go, like bending over backwards to help people. Um, and then pretty soon they would be working with him and he would enlist them in his service. In fact, his, uh, his tombstone says... Here is a man who knew how to enlist in his service men that were better than him. Awesome, right? Um, and then, of course, when you leave with the giving hand and you're someone of really, really high integrity, um, you end up attracting the best people into your life, the best people into your business. Um, and just don't, don't underestimate the importance of integrity. Um, have a long-term mindset with business, right? Like, assume you're going to be doing this for the next 50 years. And if that's the case, your reputation is everything, right? Like Warren Buffett says, I think he says it takes 20 years to build a reputation and then five minutes to destroy it. Um, and he also says a really good rule of thumb is don't do anything that you wouldn't want to see on the front page of tomorrow's newspaper, right? And so um, it's all about integrity is what he's talking about there. Another, another, another little framework Warren Buffett uses when he's hiring managers for or when he's I guess, uh, evaluating managers of companies he might buy, um, he goes for this manager, the CEO, would I want this person to date my daughter? And if the answer is no, then he's not working with them. And you better believe the way he answers that question is based on their ethics, based on their level of integrity. So um, hopefully this was enormously valuable for you. If you enjoyed this and got value out of it, can you leave a comment in the reviews? That would be super helpful for me. It allows us to get the podcast out to more people. More people can hear this. Um, and I would just really fucking appreciate it because um, apparently iTunes and Spotify like to see those comments or those reviews. So five-star review if you got, if you enjoyed it and you thought it was five stars. Um, otherwise, have an amazing week. I love you and I shall see you soon. Peace. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, my team and I are looking to work closely with a few more podcast listeners like you who want to earn an extra three grand to four grand per month from home by typing messages on their phone. If you'd like more details, go to my Instagram at Jason Capital and message me the word podcast so that me or my team can send you all the details. Just go to my Instagram. It's at Jason Capital. Message me the word podcast in the direct message and we will send you all of the details. We'd love to work closer with you in Money Boss. See you there.